Today on Conspiracy Fears and Mysteries, we're discussing the tale of a woman, a beautiful woman, who came from Egypt to look for a better life in the U.S., but ended up eating her husband. You're listening to Conspiracy Fears and Mystery. Due to the graphic nature of this content, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Conspiracy, Fears, and Mysteries, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the macabre, the unexplained, and of course, true crime. I'm your host, Ralphie, and I'll be bringing you your weekly dose of Conspiracy, Fears, and Mysteries. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Conspiracy Fears and Mysteries, and I'm your host, Ralphie, again. And I skipped last week. Um, I was supposed to do the third iteration of the alien, uh, the types of aliens from the the uh, book of alien species, but <laughs> a lot of you crazies out there that listen to me wanted more true crime and death and stuff and with all the stuff happening and with work and things in the world and a lot of moving pieces kids finishing school i kind of um um i, I will get back to it if, if a lot of you uh request it but i didn't have too many like too many people that were kind of listening to it like that was probably one of the lowest listening rates i've ever had on this on this podcast as far as even when I talk about aliens, I still have a big, uh, a big fan base who likes to talk about UFOs and all stuff like that, and you know who like to listen to that, to things about UFOs. But for some reason, I it, it was a little bland. I listened to it; it was like okay, it was a little bland. So that's something that you kind of have to discuss. Uh, things like that, you know, those UFO things with different species, and that book is probably better off with somebody with like a co-host or somebody where you can discuss things because there's a lot of things i wanted to say but i wanted to get to the the all all the different types so fast that i really wasn't thinking about it but anyway today we're going to talk about omaima nelson now i can't remember and i should have looked through the past episodes of this podcast if i ever spoke about her i don't think i have i don't think i have maybe but no i don't think i have because um I just feel it in my heart like I don't, like I haven't spoken about her. And uh, this particular case, I remember I've, I listened to this and I learned about this case a while back. This this is an older case, um, you know, in the 90s. But um, I learned about this case uh, in, in a show, one of the true crime shows that I watch. And it just so happened that I was watching Deadly Women <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> and I would joke with her, I'm like... I'm like, look, man, I'm watching this just so I could look for signs with you. And she always jokes, you're never gonna, you're never gonna see it, which is a joke now. But if I end up dead, then I'm like, man, that that pretty, that wasn't a joke. But she's not gonna kill me as, you know, as of this time, <laughs> as of now that I know. She always says she is because I leave a lot of, you know, a lot of shit undone that she wants. But whatever. It's neither here nor there. But Omaima, Nel- Omaima Nelson is a special kind of killer, a special kind of person to commit a crime because, and the reason I say that is because 
when you add cannibalism into the crime, it's bad enough when somebody dies and somebody gets killed. But when you add cannibalism to it, it's just a special kind of feeling that you get of fear or whatever that just, uh, I don't know, it just adds this crazy eeriness to it, you know, like a human eating another human, you know what I mean? But let's go ahead and read about Omaima Nelson. I'll talk about her and I'll tell you about her in case you've never heard about her. And I'm getting my information from, of course, a lot of sources. There's some true crime dramas that I've read, what I know, and um, medium.com is where I'm pretty much going to read this from. I read it and I made sure that everything that I know is there now to the best of my ability to the <laughs> to the best of my ability to my knowledge this is all true and it, it coincides with the true crime uh dramas that i've seen about her you know when they've been reenacted you can catch her you can catch her episode on deadly women and she is known as the thanksgiving butcher so let's let me tell you a little bit about omaima so to say omaima Marie, that was her name, and Bill Nelson had a whirlwind romance as an understatement. Only weeks after meeting over a game of pool in a Huntington Beach, California bar, the lovely Egyptian immigrant and the brash Texan drove to Phoenix and got married. So she was a very beautiful woman, a model uh, from her country, and she came a model here. Um, she met this guy, Bill Nelson, within weeks, and <laughs> they went and got married. So I, and, and, you know, I usually tell... You know, young brothers and sisters. And when I say young brothers and sisters, I mean everybody. You know, uh, man, look, don't marry that fast. Get to know the person. You know, it doesn't always work. Like, it's not always a Snow White thing. Sometimes you get eaten. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's what it is. So, it was easy to see why Bill, who was 56 years old, was attracted to Omaima, who was 23, 23 at the time. So... Her her good looks, like I said, she was a model, had gotten her a lot of work as a model, but she wasn't where she wanted to be, obviously, you know. Um, and Bill Nelson, he was the he was the type of guy who liked fancy things. He liked you know fast cars. You know he had uh he he was a cowboy, so you know he had the he had the the Stetson, which are, those are expensive. The you know the the cowboy boots. He liked to wear leathers and the big belt buckles and all that stuff. And, you know, he did make a lot of money um, in, in his job. Now, he wasn't without faults. Or in 1980, he was a pilot. Bill Nelson was a pilot, and he was busted in uh, smuggling some cannabis in his DC-3. And he ended up serving a couple of years in um, in prison. But when, uh, when it comes to a shady past or to a bad past or things that people have been through in the past is nothing compared to Omaima's past. She grew up in Egypt. She grew up in a in a poor village in southern Egypt near the border of Sudan. And her father apparently was very abusive physically and sexually to her and her mom. Um, and like I say, every time I talk about these two crimes, whenever you look back, at the, the 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 childhood of a lot of these criminals or these people that commit these crimes or these, these crazy crimes, there's always some there's always a sexual a sexual deviant factor or you know not you know like th there's something that happened to them the way they were abused 
a lot of times, 90% of the times, it was sexually. 90% of the times, they were abused sexually. And if they were abused sexually, what follows is verbal abuse and all that stuff. Because if you can disrespect somebody sexually and take their innocence like that, especially a child, then you have no problem disrespecting them verbally and mentally and all that stuff, which all that goes along with it. But, um, so anyway... Um, when she was young, she was, she was subjected to female circumcision, which happens a lot in Africa. Um, I, I, I lived in Africa for a couple months uh, when I was working over there. And, um, I, I mean, I didn't witness any of this, obviously, but they did, you know, talk about it, but they, I think they outlawed a lot of it. Um, it's a huge continent still happening in some places I can imagine in some tribes or whatever. Uh, but they did female circumcisions, which means they cut the clitoris, I believe it is, off of the women because they say they're not supposed to have any pleasure. It's just for giving birth and making babies. So they cut the cl- the clitoris of the ba- of the of the females, which is horrible. So, um, well, of course, when that happens, that makes uh makes any sex painful and very traumatic for them. So aside from the fact that her dad abused her. They also circumcised her, like you know, horrible. I mean, it's horrible. So, eventually, uh, time passed, and Omaima's mom left her dad, um, and they moved from Cairo to a city, uh, to a Cairo slum called the City of the Dead, which I probably would nobody, I wouldn't want to live anywhere that has that label, um, because there was a lot of shacks built. Uh, amongst tombs so the shacks where people lived were on top of tombs like openly you know what i mean like (laughs) i don't want to live near a cemetery now so near a cemetery like near like if the cemetery if if i could see the cemetery down the road i don't want to live near you know by the house anyway um so anyway so omaima later on when she became 18 she met an american oil worker a lot of the oil workers used to go over there uh, you know, to do oil stuff, whatever. She met a oil worker at the age of 18. She was 18 years old. Uh, she met him. They started a sexual relationship. And, of course, being um, complying with tradition, Omama's mother had asked them to get married. You know what I'm saying? Um, not only because of tradition, but it was like her mother saw it as a way out of poverty for her. You know what I mean? Um, and... You know the the guy agreed, and they got married. Okay, and so when the when her husband's job finished in Egypt, then they went ahead and they came over to to Texas. He flew over to, to Texas to Texas to Texas. Oh my God, my, I'm tongue tied to Texas. So anyway, predictably, the marriage didn't last. So Omaima was in a strange country. She didn't speak any English. She didn't have any money. So she drifted around, and a lot of times she took jobs as a housekeeper or a nanny. And sometimes she got some modeling gigs on the side, but it didn't pay a lot. And occasionally she engaged in petty theft because she, I don't know, she felt herself with her back against the wall. So she had no choice but, you know, to do, you know, start committing crimes. But her main source, her main source of support was always her boyfriend. She would, she would get boyfriends who had money. She would, you know, kind of gold dig, you know, um, I'm not with gold digging, but, you know, given her situation in a strange country, man, it was like, man, I don't know what else to do, you know. She would get involved with a man and then move and then move in with him right away, spend his money, and then um, 
when when he would confront her or she would just or she'd just get tired of him, then she would just um rob him and then she would just leave and disappear and never be seen again. Uh one particular man named Robert Hansen, she tied to a chair and she threatened with a shotgun before robbing him. I think she threatened another one with a knife too. She tied him up and threatened him with a knife. So that was kind of her MO. She would get these guys and she would tie them up. She would do that bondage sex thing where, oh, I'm going to tie you up, whatever, whatever. And and then she'd rob them. And guys, we normally fall for anything that is that is sexual. You know what I mean? That's that's stupid. But anyway, we do that. So after some time drifting uh, from man to man and from town to town, she ended up in Orange County, California, where in 91 she met Bill Nelson. Now, he was flashing a big wad of cash and bragging about how much land he owned in Texas. And what he didn't tell Omaima was that he was still legally married to another woman. So this guy had a wife, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? But that didn't stop Bill from marrying Omaima. He married her anyway. And after their quick wedding, Bill took her on a road trip honeymoon back to Texas and Arkansas to meet his relatives. So needless to say, most of them were skeptical of his new, very young girlfriend, because she was still young in her 20s, who was actually younger than some of his children. <laughs> she was actually younger than some of his children. But while riding horse at the family ranch, the horse she was riding through her, she impressed them with her toughness by simply asking for some aspirin and vodka. Um, she's like, hey, <laughs> I guess they were like, damn, this girl's tough. Like if a horse... if if a horse bucked by me, I would fall over. Okay, I'm not asking for aspirin and vodka. You're taking me to the hospital. But she just asked for aspirin and vodka and kept on moving. Then the couple returned to California and set up a home in Bill's apartment in Costa Mesa. And on Thanksgiving Day, Bill spoke with his daughter, Margaret, on the phone. He told her how everything was going great, and he invited her to join them for dinner. Uh, his daughter, Margaret, refused. And that would be the last conversation that she ever had with her father. Now, three days later, early in the morning of December 1st, Jose Esquivel was awakened by a loud pounding on his door. So he looked outside and saw a red Corvette parked outside. Not recognizing the car, he didn't answer the door. And after a while, the visitor went away. Then at about 1 p.m., the visitor in the red Corvette returned. This time, Jose answered, and when he opened the door, he saw Omaima. A, and now him and Omaima had had briefly dated over a year ago. So that's like his, that's his ex-girlfriend, I guess. Like, well, they dated. I don't know. Whatever. His ex-girlfriend. And she was crying and she had some cuts on her face and her hands. Omaima told him that her, <clears throat> excuse me, her husband had attacked and raped her. So she had killed him in self-defense. She went on to say that she had cut up the body but needed help disposing of it. She told Jose that she would give him $75,000 and two motorcycles if he would help get rid of the body. Now, look, I'm a motorcycle enthusiast. <laughs> this isn't funny, but like I, I was telling my wife when I was watching this, I was watching the, the, the documentary. I said, man, two motorcycles? I'm not saying I would help her, but I'd think about it for at least three seconds. But no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would probably do exactly what this guy did exactly what he did i thought this is one of the smartest moves i'd ever seen because usually people make stupid decisions in these things like dumb dumb decisions and i, I thought he was going to make some, a stupid decision but anyway jose the guy who she did played it cool and he told the miner to meet him at her apartment um while he arranged to get a truck 
When she left, he called the cops right away. She left, and he went and called the cops. Hey, man, <laughs> you ain't going to believe this. But anyway, the police found Omaima in Bill's uh, Corvette. Next to her in the passenger seat were some trash bags. Now, in the when the officer looked inside, he saw what looked like human organs. Now, I don't know how he immediately, immediately deduced human organs because... Yes, I would freak out even if it was animal organs, even if it was human organs. Um, I mean, you could tell if it's a chicken, but uh, like even you know, even if it was like I don't know, I would still freak out. So it, it it did look funny that she had a bag, just a bag in a Corvette on the passenger seat, just a bag full of organs. But the size and everything of them, um, I guess this I don't know, whatever. You could just tell. You can just tell they were human. Uh, but inside the bag, there was there was some lungs with black spots from cigarette smoking and everything. Now, when questioned, Omaima gave conflicting and confusing answers. She said that the organs were from someone Bill had killed. Then she claimed Bill was away on a business trip to Florida. Of course, always Florida. Jesus. Police got a warrant to search uh, her apartment where she lived with Nelson, which was Nelson's apartment. Inside were numerous boxes of computer parts. Now, Bill, he earned money repairing and selling computers out of his home. But among the boxes were some suitcases. Now, inside the suitcases were trash bags. Inside the trash bags were human remains. And police also found a broken lamp and clothes and uh, and clothes um, iron. Oh, wait, it says here. Police also found a broken lamp and clothes iron with tissue and human hair on them. Oh, okay. A clothes iron and... Um, and a broken lamp with tissue and human hair on them. And it's because she used that was the murder weapon. As they searched further, they found even more grisly evidence in the bedroom. The mattress was soaked in blood and the bedposts were all broken in the bathroom. A skin-gutted human... Oh, <laughs> in the bathroom, a skin-gutted human torso was suspended from clothes hangers above the tub, bleeding out like a side of beef. So the guy's torso was hanging. Uh, in the bathtub but the worst was in the kitchen inside of a deep fryer there were two human hands floating in oil mixed with turkey meat in the trash they found pieces of a human hip mixed in with turkey and cranberry sauce now i like turkey and cranberry sauce but not like this inside the freezer behind the bags of frozen vegetables there was a large round object wrapped in foil and it was bill's head uh, it was badly burnt, as though it too had been cooked in a deep fryer. So she deep. I wonder how big was her fryer, man. But anyway, it was also cooked in a deep fryer. Back in the police station, Omama kept changing her story. She paced and rambled on. At times, acting like if uh, Bill was still alive, and at other times, claiming a voice like a demon had made her dismember her husband. She repeated the claim that Bill raped her, and she had only killed him in self-defense. But when, uh. When she was for, uh, forensically examined at a nearby hospital, they found no evidence of any kind of sexual trauma. They also stated that the cut on her face and hands and breasts were, were not defensive wounds, but they would be consistent with like injuries sustained while you cut up a body. That is insane. Meanwhile, the medical examiner pieced together what was left of Bill Nelson. Whatever they could find, they tried to rebuild him. We have the technology.
Only people from the 80s and 70s know what I'm talking about. Anyway, besides being decapitated, dismembered, and disemboweled, he had apparently been castrated too. Cause of death was determined to be from multiple blunt force injuries to his skull, consistent with being hit by the lamp and iron found on the scene. So that's why they found, like I said, that was the murder weapon. The Emmy also found ligature marks around Bill's ankles. Uh, since Bill's hands had been cut off, there was no way to determine if his hands were tied as well. But the broken bedpost at the scene would indicate that they were. The Emmy also noted that the body had been dismembered with unusual precision, as if the killer had done this before. So, oh my God, it gives me chills just talking about her. Perhaps more disturbing was the fact that nearly 100 pounds of Bill's remains were missing. 100 pounds. The Nelson's neighbor told police that he had heard their garbage disposal running constantly for two days, starting the evening of Thanksgiving. He said that he would, that he could hear the motor grinding as though it was straining. So she was putting this guy through the garbage disposal like crazy. She was, oh my God. But it was what Omaima said in her court-appointed psychologist that shocked the nation. She said that she had cooked Bill's ribs in barbecue sauce and eaten them, exclaiming it's so sweet and that nothing was sweeter than her husband's meat. Now, in slang terms, that would be nice, but in this case, it's bad. She later recanted those statements and now swears she never committed cannibalism. The psychologist diagnosed her as being psychotic and suffering from PTSD. And in December 92, um, uh, 1992, Omaima Nelson stood trial for the murder and dismemberment of her husband. And thanks to Robert Hansen's testimony, the prosecution was able to present a scenario that fit the evidence. They claimed that Omaima had lured Bill into a consensual bondage session long enough to tie him to the bedpost. Then, prosecutors speculated she demanded money or other access to his wealth. When Bill didn't comply, Omaima beat him brutally with a lamp and then with an iron. Finally, she stabbed him with scissors before dismembering his corpse. Now, Omaima's defense um, was that she suffered from PTSD from when she was a child and she was abused, you know, sexually and physically. Um, and that she was also abused sexually and physically throughout her four-week marriage. And she claimed that uh, before his murder, she had tied her, that he had tied her up, and he held her captive for several days, raping her repeatedly. Now, she, she, she testified that she had gotten one arm loose from the restraints and hit him with the lamp, and then she stabbed him with scissors in order to save her own life. She claimed to have no memory of dismembering him. She also claimed that spirits of ancient e that a of ancient Egyptians spoke to her and acted through her. And it was the spirits who told her to kill her husband and then to dismember him. But she just said that she doesn't remember that. But anyway, because of his remains, because because of his remains were scattered, he couldn't go on to the afterlife. So in January ninety three, the jury deliberated for six days. I don't know why it took that long before acquitting her on first-degree murder charges. However, she was found guilty of second-degree murder, as well as for the assault on Hansen, and sentenced to 28 years to life. She is serving her sentence in the Central California Women's Facility in Chochilla, alongside other notorious criminals, Susan Atkins, Helen Golay, 
Nancy Garrido, Luis Luis Turpin, and Dorothy Puente. And uh, Susan Atkins died in 2009, and Dorothy Puente died in 2011. I may do a story on them. Uh, while in prison, uh, she oh, get this, okay? I mean, I mean, you want you you want to talk about a a a sociopath, or, you know, a person who, I mean, she, when she is an expert at manipulation, okay? While in prison, she began a long distance relationship with a disabled man in his seventies. They got married and were allowed several conjugal visits. Before the man passed away, leaving Omaima with a great deal of money. She has a lot of money now because the guy left all his money to her. She first came out for parole in 2006, but was denied because she was found to be unpredictable and a serious threat to public safety. She came up again in 2011, but was again denied because the parole bo uh, board said that she had not taken responsibility for the murder. And then she'll be eligible for parole again in 2026. 2026, hopefully she is not, she's, hopefully she's gone by that man. This woman does not need to be free. It is incredible the length that people will go through, go to for murder. Um, It is also incredible the, um, uh, what can happen when mental health is not treated uh, you can see where, or you can hit you. You know, you heard obviously when she was young, she was mistreated and she was abused and all that, and how that in itself can cause a person to commit crimes such as the ones that she did. Um, it, so you know, it, there's a lot of variables here. You know, you know, mental health and all that stuff, and you got to you you know you. You got to take everything with a grain of salt. But you, you, at the end of the day, she ate her husband. She ate somebody. Um, I don't know if he did rape her. I, there was no evidence that ever said he did or that he ever did abuse her, you know. Um, but she ate him. You know what I mean? She ate him. Uh, and she has a history of robbing men. She has a history of tying them up and robbing them. So she's not a victim here. She was a victim, yes. She is a victim of her dad. Her dad did abuse her. Her father, yes, he most likely, probably 100%, <laughs> he's the one that created this monster. But um, as far as with the with the men, no, you know, they suffered because of something that happened to her when she was younger. You know, uh, and of course, the poverty didn't help and all that stuff. Um, you know, her, her lifestyle back in, in, in Egypt did not help. But um, either way, she is the Thanksgiving cannibal. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, guys, that's all we got for this week. Conspiracy fears and mysteries. I will be back again if uh, next week, Friday. Every Friday, 7 a.m. is when I post. Every Friday, 7 a.m. is when I post. And again, don't forget to like and subscribe. Follow me on social media, Instagram. I have a new Instagram. I always have a new Instagram. I don't really do Facebook like that. I have it, but I don't really mess with it because it's a lot of BS on Facebook. And I don't get my news from Facebook or anything. I, I, I post things here and there, but I really don't even read people's posts. I really don't. Um, don't think I do. Like, if you do follow me on Facebook, I know some of y'all do. 
and I follow some of y'all back. I really don't read your post. I re- I, I I don't. And I hate to say that. I do read it if it's on Instagram and on Twitter. And I'm still. And the only reason I'm on that is because I do this podcast and some YouTube videos. But I really don't. And when it comes to Twitter and Facebook, man, I try to stay away from Instagram. It's just kind of pictures and pictures. Um, a little more, you know, to the point. It's, I don't know. I feel like Instagram is a little more honest, even though it's the same memes that you may see on the other social medias. But go to Ralphie underscore Grams for Instagram. Ralphie underscore tweets for Twitter. And don't even worry about Facebook, but you can follow me on social media. You can follow this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. You go from Anchor to Apple to Google to Spotify to um, and most places where you can get a podcast. This podcast is in. I'm in like nine platforms. No way you can miss it. You only miss it if you want to. But as always, I will see you on the next smoke.